This week, we're going to be talking about Hamas terrorism and the war that's resulted from it uh, with Rabbi Daniel Berman. Uh, he's the rabbi at Temple Rahim in Newton, Mass. Uh, he's a friend from a weekly interfaith dialogue uh, that I'm part of through the Black Ministerial Alliance 10 Point uh, of Greater Boston. Uh, I'm Charles Galda, President of Vision New England, and your host for The Church in Action. Dan, thanks so much for being with us. Charles, thank you very much. It's, it means a lot to me that you invited me. I appreciate being here with you. Well, I appreciate you coming, so thanks. And so, so Dan, before we dig into the real meat here, can you give folks just a little bit of background on your your bio and Temple Reim and how you came to be there? Yeah, I've been at Temple Reim for, this is my 11th year, um, and Reim means friends. It's a community affiliated with the conservative movement, as you mentioned here in Newton. Uh, it was founded about um, 70 years ago, um, be out of a kind of culture of seeking friendship, and that that has been a really powerful and strong legacy at at Reim. It's it's a kind of down to earth, very sweet and very relational um, synagogue. I feel very blessed to be there. Nice. Um, before that, I actually uh, after. Um, or before becoming coming to Reim, I was a rabbinical student at Hebrew College, which is actually now at Temple Reim, mm -hmm. and uh, we share a campus there. And previously, I was an attorney. I worked at a law firm in Boston called Mintz Levin, where I uh, worked both in the securities litigation and also did a good deal of immigration uh, work representing men and women who were seeking asylum here after leaving their homes uh, from persecution, seeking refuge in the U.S., those are two very divergent portfolios, right? SEC stuff and immigration stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's sure. that's great. Well, so so Dan, uh, and maybe for our audience, I, I think at this point everybody knows um, what happened October seventh, at least yeah. you know, some level of detail, um, right? Hamas invaded Israel with a plan to kill and kidnap as many people as they could. Um, they were able to do that with 1,200 people being killed, and I don't even know how many injured and hundreds kidnapped. Um, right now, there's a ceasefire when we're recording this. There's a ceasefire in effect, uh, and some hostages are being released. Um, yeah. But Hamas has also promised to continue doing what they did on October 7th as much as they're able to. Mm -hmm. uh, and so and so Christians are, uh, I think, along with a lot of Americans, don't really always know a lot about Isra Israel history mm -hmm. uh, outside of the Bible um, and don't know a lot about what's been happening with the land over there and, and in Palestine and the terrorist situation. They know there's just bad stuff. And so I asked uh, Dan if he would join the church in action and uh, give us uh, a bit of a, in a way, a first-hand view, or certainly a closer view than many of us will have to what's happening on the ground, uh, and some of the history that we may not understand. And so, Dan, I'm I'm sorry for you and your family, uh, and mm -hmm. your friends, and what you've had to go through, uh, and uh, and asking you to, in a sense, relive it with us. Uh, so I'm sorry, but I think uh, there's maybe some real useful stuff that uh, folks can understand. And so I wanted to, and it's important. So thanks again. But maybe let's start with that, Dan, as much as you're comfortable talking about what are your friends and family here experiencing? And then we'll talk about what's going on in Israel. Yeah, so the, the Jewish community here in the U.S. Um, is is in a, a place of a lot of a lot of fear. Um, you know, there has been over the course of uh, many generations of Jewish presence in the U.S., a good deal of anti-Semitism, anti-Judaism, and anti-Semitism that people have experienced. 
has changed. It's taken different expressions and forms uh, over the years. Um, but this is this feels qualitatively or substantially different. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Jews in the U.S., I think, you know, I mean, there's no such thing actually as like a, the Jewish community, right? There's It's a wide, wide spectrum of people coming from different backgrounds, experiences, um, identities, perspectives, points of view, ideologies. Um, but I think what brings Jewish community together is a deep sense of concern and fear around um, the way that there's been so much hatred expressed against Jews here in the U.S., as well as Islamophobia and against Muslims and, and um, you know, other marginalized people or minorities in the U.S. And, and there's, that's been very, very scary. Um, it's been intensified many, many folds since October 7th. And people feel it through rhetoric. They feel it through um, actual uh, accounts of violence, of of threats of violence, um, of protests that get violent, and uh, this so that it it brings up enormous amount of fear for people, and and it's also it taps into a deep uh, kind of rawness, uh, a kind of collective and intergenerational trauma that Jewish community still holds from um, many generations of persecution and genocide and exile. So it's very deeply held, and when when we feel threatened, when Jewish community feels threatened, um, there's so much rawness there, right? This just, it really evokes an enormous amount of, of fear, which then, um, you know, we see a lot of, a lot of, uh, action that comes from those fear-based feelings. So, so, you know, that's in general, what, again, there's so many different perspectives and experiences that, that, that Jews in the U S have and Jews globally, but since October 7th, you know, what so many Jews in Israel are feeling and it's shared by so many Jews in the U.S. is this sense of um, real threat to the existence of Israel, which is which is different than prior, than, you know, really any time since the 1973 war in Yom Kippur, um, the holiest day on the Jewish calendar in Israel. Uh, there is this, there's, there's this sense that, like, we actually are susceptible and yeah. vulnerable to the potential of the lack of existence of this Jewish state. And that's whether that is you know, um, real or not in terms of the seriousness, the substance of that threat is certainly perceived. And that, that is, that's very dangerous to the sort of Jewish psyche. You know, it really brings out enormous amount of um, really horrifying tear, which is a, a fear, which is, of course, the the uh, outcome and the purpose of, of acts of terror. Yeah. So everyone is, everyone's feeling some level of connection to that and um, some a little more intensively than others, depending on our, on our um, experiences in and perspectives on the state of Israel, its relationship with the Palestinians and the broader Arab world in the U.S. and but my, I, I personally, I, I come from an Israeli family. My, my mother's parents were both, and their families were both from Eastern Europe. They lived in Poland. My grandfather from Stolin, Poland. My grandmother from Tomaszow. They, they left their families as young adults independently. They didn't know each other yet, but they left their families um, to come to uh, British Mandate Palestine in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And they were there as part of a socialist Zionist 
movement, which um, which was to come to a place where they felt like there was going to be both safety and security as Jews. Um, and they lost their families in the Shah and the Holocaust. Um, and they they met there in, uh, in and around Haifa in the northern part of Israel. We're living on a kibbutz, um, a sort of farming, agricultural farming community, socialist in its origins, and um, raised my mother and her brother through the founding of the state of Israel. And ultimately, after a number of years, uh, came to the U.S. Actually, they were made their way through Europe and then Canada and then to the U.S. after a number of years because of the tightness of the immigration restrictions at the time. And much much of my family remains in Israel. I have some family here, but which I mentioned to say that like this is not just an issue for many of us. Like what's happening there is very, very real. It's happening to our friends and to our family. And um and so it's it's very you know really it really shapes the way that so many of us are, are thinking and feeling every single every single moment of every single day. And there's there's two pieces I'm hearing in that is hey I've got friends and family over there and a connection to Israel um, that's beyond just friends and family too. But also I feel danger and at risk and exposed here because of this violent anti-Semitism uh, that we've seen. And the, I, um, you know, I, I, it, it would be easy for someone to say, well, not that many people have been killed in, by anti-Semitism over here, and not that many people have been attacked, but it's been a huge uptick. And I think about it in the context of, well, what if we heard that they were killing Christians, right? And it wasn't that many. We're still all scared. And and so is is that... Am I under? Am I hearing right? What's happening? And and I get. I hear your point. There's not a Jewish community, but for lack of a better term, am I am yeah. I hearing it right? Yeah. The, I mean, the, I mean, it's not like a unified sort of singular vocal Jewish community, but but I think there is a sense of what we call Am Yisrael, like a sense of being part of something mm. broader, being part of a Jewish communal consciousness or Jewish communal experience, and. But, you know, we're still trying to figure it out, to be honest. Um, like, we're trying to figure out what um, what and why anti-Semitism in the U.S. and anti-Judaism in the U.S. has, um, as you said, sort of been in, been in a heightened state over, over recent years. And there's a number of possible ways to understand that. Um, you know, one of them being that everything has been sort of in extremes, not just anti-Semitism, but so many other forms of of hatred and and racisms and um, actions against people of minor who are people of color and minorities and people who are otherwise marginalized immigrants and there's there's been so much extreme rhetoric around that that I think it unleashes and kind of evokes and provokes a great deal of hatred pointed towards people who have been who are minorities and who are otherwise um, have been historically or presently. Um, marginalized. So, so we're still trying to figure out, you know, why that is. Is it is it just because of the extreme way that our political leadership views and models um, behavior and language and action? Is it this is something that's been sort of latent, you know, for some time and, and has just kind of been given permission to uh, to kind of express itself in new ways? Um, one of the things that we're constantly thinking about is what what's the relationship between anti-judaism anti-semitism 
anti-Zionism and being anti-Israel or anti-Israeli government. And those are very, get very entangled, as you might imagine. It's very hard to disentangle them. I think in general, people are able to distinguish the difference between expressions of anti-Israeli government, in other words, not being supportive of a current Israeli government from being anti-Israel or being from being anti-Zionist, in other words, thinking like, you know, believing that there shouldn't be a sovereign nation of Israel. Um, it's a little bit harder to disentangle that from anti-Semitism. Um, you know, it's it's just hard to figure out when the, the sort of political ideologies end and the more um, you know, feelings and thoughts around a Jewish identity and, you know, begin and how people hold an enormous amount of, some, you know, people hold an enormous amount of, um, of hatred against and fear of the Jewish community or Jews. So it's hard to, it's hard to separate those sometimes. Um, and so let's talk about um, what's happening on the ground in Israel or what happened October 7th, because you have family and friends there. And so what are you hearing from them and what are they, what, are, what have they been and what are they experiencing? Um, yeah, I'm in touch daily with my family and friends there. Um, I mean, right now they're going through a very, very intensive emotional experience of the release, the slow release of hostages who are being uh, both celebrated and welcomed back and, and you know, to Israel um, and reunited with family. Um, but it's, you know, of course, they're just beginning what will be a very, very long process of trying to understand and pro uh, and, and internalize what's happened and begin a process of healing from it. Um, and of course, there's so much fear um, and worry and concern for those who are still being kept in captivity, who are still hostages. And there's so much secrecy, you know, just because of the nature of the negotiations, there's so much secrecy in terms of who is able to be released and whether people's loved ones will be released. So right now, people's hearts are so fully um, engaged with this process of the hostage release that that's really taking up so much of people's sort of minds and hearts right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it more broadly over the last couple of months, I think people have felt, I know they've shared with me that they felt very threatened, as I mentioned, um, a deep sense of vulnerability um, that really they haven't felt um, since, you know, those who are, those who are young adults or older in the, um, early 1970s during the 73 war, or the late 1960s and 1967 war, like there was this sense of, of vulnerability that people just haven't really felt. In other words, that the threat against the existence of Israel, not just that there would be military or, or a conflict um, or, or violence uh, or political issues to constantly work out and conflict between peoples, but really a of tangible uh, threat against the existence of Israel is, mm. is pretty deeply felt. And that's very, very scary. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the lack what people were ex experiencing as a lack of readiness of the Israeli um, military operationally mm. um, from what happened on October 7th and the attack, I think is very, also very scary for people. And, and before October 7th and, and recent months over the last year, Israel has found, you know, so many people have found themselves in a place of real um, division in Israel um, mm -hmm. around political ideas and um, 
the current Israeli government, which is which is more extreme in its in its politics than I've seen in a long time. And there's been a lot of division. So, you know, it's just all of these different things that are weighing so heavily on people. And October 7th was really shattering, yeah. really shattering. And people are grieving deeply, um, profoundly afraid, um, doing everything they can to stay st- strong and persevere um, and stay hopeful. And uh, you know, very, very worried about the about the fate of of the hostages who have been taken, and for many people as well, like really um, involved in this complicated, complicated conversation around what does it look like to um, actually remove Hamas as a serious threat, yeah. and what what are we willing morally and religiously? From, I mean, from a kind of Jewish standpoint. Morally, politically, civilly, what are we willing to absorb um, and what are we willing to sacrifice in order to obtain that objective of of um, of removing Hamas? I think there's a general understanding that removing Hamas isn't real because Hamas is a is an idea, it's an aspiration that's committed to the destruction of Israel. But removing it, it's which can be reignited and, you know, can can come alive at any time, but moving its its military and operational uh, or military operations, it's its ability to actually have command centers and strike quickly. Mm-hmm. That Israel is very committed to and um, how to do that in a way that does not, um, you know, that limits the, um, the damage to, to Palestinian property homes, schools, hospitals, and also limits uh, the loss of life and injuries is something that Israel, you know, thinks and cares a lot about. Um, But it's very hard, very, very hard to accomplish both. And um, both the taking out of Hamas and the ability to be surgical in its operations. It's it's very, very difficult, and they're really struggling with that. Mm -hmm. And so, so Dan, some of us um, some Christians will uh, believe there is a spiritual world, a world we can't see. Um, so I don't know how this will match up with with your theology, but there's a spiritual world we can't see. But that world influences what happens in this world, and so so we see spiritual components of what's been happening in Israel and and behind the antisemitism, anti Judaism. Would that resonate? In Jewish and in, in any Jewish circles, or would you would you uh, would you think about it differently? It's not that present um, in the kind of more progressive, non ultra orthodox circles um, of Jewish life, but there is some. Uh, there's you know there's certainly a lot of wrestling with sort of religious nationalism in more orthodox and ultra-orthodox circles around like what's the theological or spiritual meaning to um, historical events and to national events. Um, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, sort of pushback from many of the progressive um, circles in Jewish life against sort of trying to ascribe theological meaning to historical or national events um, because it just gets so tricky especially after the holocaust it's like there's really deep theological shifts that happen after the holocaust that for many people require uh distancing of a theology of god's involvement active involvement in the world um to a more 
um, sort of pantheistic or even, pan, or, uh, yeah, I would say sort of God of nature kind of model of, of, of God in the world. Um, and, and there's certainly like in some circles of, of Orthodox and ultra Orthodoxy in Israel and globally, you know, there is, there is some ascribing of theological and spiritual meaning to everything that happens historically and nationally. And so I don't think I'm the, I don't think I'm the right person to speak about what that looks like in the Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox, or like what the current conversation is, but there's certainly taking place. And, um, you know, it's not an easy one. There's not like a particular theology that's being kind of lifted up right now and understood as, mm -hmm. you know, clearly, but there's certainly wrestling around what, what does it look like for God to be involved in this, in this moment. And, you know, more, Certainly, and I think the way that I might talk about it in more progressive circles of Judaism, sort of non-orthodox, ultra-orthodox movements, is certainly there's a sense of like, what does it, how do we invite God into our lives in these moments? How do we, how do we remain people of faith? What does it mean to have relationship with God when there's such deep human suffering? But I, I, there's a little bit more resistance toward a sense of, sort of, you know, the, the kind of historical aspect of the historical theology of God sort of in, having a active um, uh, sort of agency in the unfolding of events in the world. So, so Dan, just maybe last question, because we only have a couple minutes left. Um, what could, what can Christians do or what can non-Jewish people do, whether they're Gentile, you know, Christian or otherwise, what could we be doing that would be helpful to Jewish friends and neighbors here in the U.S., but maybe also more globally. Yeah, I really appreciate the question, Charles. It means a lot to me. Um, I think one one of the things that Jews in the states are are struggling with right now is there feels it feels a little bit like we're on our own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, much of Jewish community in the states have or many, you know, members of Jewish community in the States have, have been very strong partners to others, mm -hmm. uh, other groups, minority groups, people of color, um, uh, and, and many movements of people who are marginalized, have been marginalized historically or current face, currently facing marginalization or impoverishment or institutional racism. And, um, and I think a lot of American Jews feel very alone right now and we're sort of wondering where the support is, right? Where the solidarity is. And some of us feel that, you know, in various ways, but I think being able to say to the Jewish community, like, we want to learn more. We want to understand where you are in this. We want to be better, better educated about the history um, and not entrench ourselves in a particular political position, but like really try to understand the complexity and the nuances and the history of this conflict and also be supports for you, you as Jewish community who we know are are really suffering a, a lot from anti-Semitism and also suffering a lot because of the attack in Israel and, and the sufferings of the Palestinians. Like we're, Because it's so close to us, having people around us to just say like, we get it, we get the serious grief and fear that's happening right now and like let us help hold you up and learn more from you and about what's happening there i think is 
it means an enormous amount. And um, just, you know, knowing that you have people who are willing to stand by your side is, I think, the most important thing. And, and become, as I said, becoming more, uh, you know, just learning more, just continuously learning um, without being committed to a particular ideology or political uh, position, um, just sort of staying open-minded and open-hearted to how complex, you know, what I think, as I said earlier, like, I think it's one of the more complex regions historically and, you know, globally. And so like, that means that we have to be open to multiple perspectives and multiple realities. So I think that's, that, I appreciate your question so much, Charles. And I, that's at least what comes to mind for me right now in terms of how the Jewish community can be supported. Well, most, most of uh, the Christians that would be uh, connected to Vision New England are what we would would have called evangelical Christians before that became more of a political term than a theological term. And so that's a problematic term these days. Um, but people in that stream of Christianity are very strong supporters of Israel and the Jewish people. And so we want to, You, I see over and over again, people praying for Israel, praying for the Jewish people, appalled by the anti-Semitism. So know that you're not alone. Um, and we are we are here, um, and and want to be supportive. And so, thank you for uh, taking time to be with us today, Dan. Thanks for sharing what's not an easy topic for you, I'm sure. Um, but I appreciate it. Know that you got you're you know you're not alone, and we want to we want to stand with you. I, I I appreciate that so much, Charles. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation to be with you, and and also just for your presence and and compassion. It means a lot to me. Thanks. I appreciate that. And so I'd also like to thank our producer and our listeners. This program is created by Vision New England, which accelerates evangelism by helping the church make disciples do justice. And that's really what we're talking about today. There's a lot of justice uh, claims involved here uh, and fostering unity. So people want to know Jesus in New England's transformed. You can find more resources and donate at visionnewengland.org. This program is brought to you by our friends at the Luis Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. God bless you, and thanks for listening.